0: us your redemption, to give us your forgiveness, and to give us oneness with you and with one another. We assemble today, Lord, because we're part of the royal household, and we ask your blessing over your word that you would anoint its truth into our lives, Lord, and cause it to accomplish what you from heaven have purposed it to do for us here on earth. This morning, Lord, we, we we want to bring hearts before you that are receptive, Lord. So even now, Lord, things just happen in life. And they have the opportunity, Lord, to, to callous our heart, even harden our hearts, or cause our hearts to be distracted or, or indifferent, Lord. And, and we don't want any of that. We want a, a softened heart in your presence today that this word like seed could go into us, Lord, and do what you want it to do. We bless you today, Lord. We're so thankful that we get to be family, but we're your family, and you're the head of it. So we pray that you'd have your way with us today, in Jesus' name, amen. If you want to turn to John 3 with me, I think every chapter of the Bible has within it the potential to be life-changing. But I believe this chapter has within it something special to make it destiny changing. To me, one of the, or the most powerful verses that were ever spoken into my life before I was a follower of Jesus Christ. But yielding to these truths caused my life to change and cause my eternal destination to change. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. Number one, for the one who spoke it, Jesus Christ himself. Number two, that God would record it in scripture for us to have, to navigate us to heaven. And number three, for the person who had the guts enough to share it with me when I didn't want to hear it. We're introduced to an individual in this chapter by the name of Nicodemus. One of the things you need to know about him was he was the teacher in Israel. The head of the Sanhedrin which was comprised of 71 of the most religious from the different the Pharisees and the Sadducees that they were the spiritual governing authority and this guy was the top dog. He was prestigious. He was wealthy. He was powerful. He was also spiritual. I just had a conversation with someone prior to the service today. That there's a big difference between being spiritual and being biblical. And there was something that was hugely missing in his life. Jesus knew it, but the reality is he knew it too. Prestigious, wealthy, powerful spiritual with something missing. And that might be you here today. Maybe you were drawn here today for a reason because you've been churched. You got a spiritual side. But inside, it's just like the void's still there. It says here in verse one, there was a man of the Pharisees and the Pharisees started off to be this it means the separated ones, they, they, they really started off with the right heart. They really wanted to be consecrated, devoted to God. But the problem, what happened was became, they, they became very full of pride. They became very self-righteous and they became legalistic and started to look down on other people. So he was part of this group. But it, it says here that he was a ruler of the Jews and the Greek is literally the ruler of the Jews. And look at verse 2 says, the same he came to Jesus. That's the big thing right there. That was the key. This individual came to Jesus by night. And and maybe he was running undercover, but remember this was Passover time, so it was so crazy busy. He had his duties. Jesus had his stuff going on. Maybe it was the only convenient time. We don't know for sure. But we do know this, that he sought Jesus out. You know, the Bible tells us that that God's a rewarder of those who will diligently seek him. This was the beginning of something that would transform this man's life and would transform his eternity. Because he sought out Jesus. And I hope you're here today, not because you're seeking church or seeking to sing a few songs or seeking just a fellowship, but I hope that we're here today to seek Jesus. Because that's where we go through the Bible, because this is where he reveals himself to us. You know, if we seek him with all of our heart, we're going to find him. That's a promise that we've been told in the, in the Old Testament, the book of Jeremiah. And, and I believe that we live in a day where Jesus isn't seeing as many people seeking him. But hopefully you and I are. Hopefully today, just being here today is evidence that I've come here to seek Christ. We're going to see that something's going to take place in in. This individual's life, that that at the beginning, he's coming to seek Jesus. And then we're going to find him actually in the middle of this book, chapter 7-ish. We're going to find him defending Jesus. And then at the end, we're going to see that he comes with Joseph of Arimathea, wants the body of Jesus, and brings like a fortune of embalming herbs and spices with him. So there's something wonderful going on. But he was very inquisitive about Jesus because there was something different about him. There was something different about him that religion couldn't give him. He heard John the Baptist glorifying Jesus. <coughs> he heard about him changing the water into wine. You know, he comes into the temple, probably Nicodemus was there, man, and he drove hypocrisy out of the temple. And I see in this individual a sincere man. That's what I see in him. And, you know, I wonder if when he was there and saw Jesus, because he would have been there as the teacher. I wonder if when he watched what Jesus did, these were the very things that had bothered him all the years that were taking place within the temple, but he didn't have the courage or the guts to do anything about it. And then all of a sudden, this carpenter's son shows up. And he starts changing things and flipping a religious sector upside down. And I think there was something that was super, super inquisitive that Nicodemus had going on on the inside of him. But I also believe that by the looks of this, that there was also something that was missing inside of him think that there was a personal emptiness going on in his life that religion could not do for him. And he comes to Christ. One of the most religious men, and and he would have had just the reputation to, to be that individual that was just so godly on the outside but there was something different going on on the inside. You know, the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes that God's made all things wonderful in his time and that he's written eternity in our heart, that there's something in that heart there that only eternity can fill. And I remember, I know I've shared this with some of you before, I can remember when I, you know, when I was younger, before I met Jesus Christ, I remember being on a side road, things were going good in my life, I had a lot of friends, had a good job, had money, had everything, but the one thing that I could not deny that I had in my life was I had a hole that nothing could fill. And it really was the beginning of, of God getting my attention and, and bringing me to the cross and bringing me to my own experience of salvation that we're going to look at here today. But but when I met Jesus Christ, look at everything filled in. Satisfaction, contentment, everything that I was looking for, regardless of what was going on on the outside, on the inside, there was a fullness there because that hole that God had written in my heart was now filled in with truth, Jesus. So he comes to him, and he doesn't deny anything. He says, no man can do these miracles that you do. So he knew about the miracles, except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, what we see here, we see this encounter, but one of the things that we don't see here that's written in a text that we can only see when you look at the Bible as a whole Is God says that I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Jesus would go on to say that no man, Jesus would say that no man can come unto me unless the Father draws him. So behind the scenes, we've got this Nicodemus, this spiritual individual who's empty on the outside, but but working in his life was God Almighty that loved him so much that saw his need and was trying to bring him to Christ. Look, if you've come to Jesus Christ and he's your Lord and Savior, that is a manifestation of the fact that God loved you and he drew you to Christ he knew what you needed. And if you're here today and you haven't made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, through these truths today, God's trying to draw you to the wells of salvation so that he can bless you and give you eternity that you can't even comprehend on this side of it. So he says to Nicodemus, he says, verily, verily, or truly, truly. And that's the thing about Jesus. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So what do we find here? He comes here and and, and he's kind of meandering, you know, and that's what people do. We kind of meander. But, but Jesus cuts right to the quick. Nicodemus, I know what's going on in your life. You're concerned about your eternity. And I'm going to answer you about what's really going on in your heart, even though your heart's hiding behind your lips right now. You, you're hailing me as a good teacher and acknowledging the miracles that I'm doing, but I'm here to talk to you about your eternity because you are spiritual. You are religious, but you're not redeemed. And that's what Jesus loved him enough to tell him. It's ver- if you got King James, it's verily, verily, but it, it means truly, truly. And how many of us know this, that when we come to Jesus Christ, you're going to get the truth? Jesus does not withhold truth from us. And it's so important for us to, to realize that when we come to Christ, it's not just about speaking, but it's about mutinous thing and le- actually listening to what he has to say. That's why it's so important for you and I to be in communication with Jesus Christ through the Bible, because the listening provides the life-changing. It was listening to the gospel of Jesus Christ that changed my life and changed my eternity. And that's what we're seeing here with this individual Nicodemus. So he lays, he hits the rubber on the road here, verily, verily, truly, truly. I'm going to tell you the truth, religious leader. I say unto you, okay, because you've got a lot of religious credentials, okay? You might impress a lot of people. You know, you might be impeccable in your attendance, spot on with your tithe, you know, full of good works, very kind, and you're always there to help. But he says this, except you be born again, you cannot even enter into the kingdom of God you cannot so we look at heaven we look at eternal destination and we see Jesus here cutting to the quick and telling this guy the truth that's what Jesus does he did it with a rich young ruler right one thing you lack it wasn't the fact that he had to give all his money away and be like this great Samaritan I think it was the fact that his money was his idol he had to get that idol out of the way so he could follow the true God the woman at the well, we see him, we're going to see him cut to the quick with her. Yeah, you're right. You've had five husbands. The guy you're living with now isn't even your husband. You're living in sin. But you know what Jesus did? He gets to the truth of the matter. He speaks truth into their life so that he can get them where they need to be with him. A life of beautiful redemption. So, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The individual that loved me enough to speak those truths into me saw on the outside rejection, just walked away, whatever. But the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. What he didn't see was the sword of truth stuck in my heart. I could not shake that truth because that truth was God's truth and that truth is alive and that truth does its work. I did not yield to it at that moment, but because those were the words of Jesus Christ, they were stuck in there like a harpoon in the side of a whale. And now Nicodemus, so Nicodemus said unto him, how? Okay, and and so often in life. Now remember, he's a natural man, but even you and I, you know, who are born again of the Holy Spirit, we go through situations. You might even be facing something today And it's just a crossroads. It's a trial. Looks like an impossibility, firestorm, mountain, whatever it might be. But we know as Christians, those things come into our life. And, And the things that we don't understand... How are these things going to happen? Reminds me of the same thing that the young teenage girl that we're going to be celebrating this testimony of her life, Mary, the, 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 the human conduit that Jesus Christ would come through, giving him his human side. Remember, same thing, that, that the Holy Spirit's going to, she, she asked, how are these things going to happen? And, and she spoke, what's spoken into her life is that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon me. I'm here to tell you because Jesus is going to say the same thing. He's going to attribute it all to the Spirit. The how of your life is the Holy Spirit. You got a drug problem. You got a pornography problem. You got an alcohol problem. Whatever it might be, you can't get victory over that without the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the one that's going to give you the victory, and he's the answer. He is the how to all the questions. God, how from here? How at this point? How in the world? How? It's the Holy Ghost. We're going to see that from this point on, he's going to speak about this work of the Spirit. So he looks at this thing in the natural. You know, the, the, you've got to be born again. He looks at it in the natural. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus replied again, truly, truly. So he gives him truly. Truly. Let me me tell you something about the Word of God. The Word of God cannot be understood without its author living inside of you. What do you mean by that? I'll tell you what I mean by that. I took a Bible to college with me, and I read the thing, and it made zero sense to me. Absolutely no sense. I mean, I got in the beginning there. I said, you know, I start like every book, like in the beginning, not realizing that it's sixty-six different books in one book. So you start at the beginning, right? Like any other book, like the other two I read in my life, right? So, so you know, I, I get to about chapter six, man. I'm checked out, man. None of this makes sense or anything, and there's a reason why. And the reason why I was a natural man, and Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that a natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. Now, remember, the author of the Bible is the Holy Spirit. So he cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually understood. So without actually the, the Holy Spirit is a tutor and a teacher living within you and I that we're going to look at today that takes place at the day of our salvation, none of this is going to make sense. It's just going to be words on a paper. Just going to be words on a paper. But once he's in there, all of a sudden the truths and the reality of life and, and, and the applications of the heart and the home, all of a sudden they start to gravitate off the page and God's directing you through his wisdom, and the entrance of his word starts to give light to your life. So Nicodemus is looking at these things through the natural things, and Jesus answered and said, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, one of the things as you're sitting here today, the way I was sitting there 20-plus years ago, getting close to 30 years ago, and somebody shared that with me. Now, you should be sitting here. When Jesus says that, you know, that you cannot enter the kingdom of God, which is eternal destination, or eternal destination. You cannot inherit the kingdom of God unless you're born again. The thing that was going on in my heart at that time, just being honest with myself, I attended church. I wasn't that bad comparing myself by other people, but I wasn't born again. And Jesus Christ is far more interested in our forever than our feelings. And he loves us enough to speak the truth. And I'm here to tell you today, because this is the problem that's going on in the church today. We want to get away from the uncomfortable words, but the uncomfortable words are the biblical words. And the uncomfortable word of sin is everything that we have done in rebellion to God that needs to be forgiven and can only take place through Jesus Christ. And until we put our faith in him, like we're looking at today, our destination is the lake of fire. And if you go to a cemetery, you can know this according to the teachings of Jesus is that the majority of the people that are in that ground are actually in hell today. And when I shared a funeral, Solomon writes to us that death is the destiny of all men and the living should take it to heart. So what does that mean? That means that I should take it to heart today because if you're here today and you're not saved, today's the day for you to get saved. And if you are here today and you're saved, you should be so grateful. So grateful. So grateful. Jesus is looking to pierce through religion with the anointing of God's truth. No spiritual birth, being born again. Is said, what, the second time, my mom's womb? No, first time was the womb. No spiritual birth, no heaven. It's just simply what that means. And the Jehovah Witnesses have it all wrong. There's no annihilation. You and I are eternal beings. When God breathed into Adam, he became a living soul. At that time, that individual is going to live forever somewhere, either in heaven or in hell, based upon his decision to follow God or not. So verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And, and different people have different interpretations, but if you follow the flow of this, because he goes, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. I believe it's talking about the two births that we're supposed to experience in this life, the physical birth and the spiritual birth. One of the greatest monumental moments in my life was the birth of my first child. I'll never forget it. We were uh, over in Warsaw. It was a lot of suffering my wife went through. But I'll never forget having a C-section. We were there four days, and it was just like one of the most memorable experiences and joys of my life. It really was to watch That birth, and and it reminded me that that life is just a gift, and so is in spiritual life. But I do know this that the ones who gave you physical birth, your parents, they actually passed on something to you called a sin nature (laughs) because they're sinners. Sinners give birth to sinners. So they passed on that sin nature to you and I. We're born out of fellowship with God. And there comes a point in our life where we come to the recognition that God is trying to get my attention because I need to do something about this sin in my life. So what he's done is he provides to you and I the gift to be forgiven of that sin, and it's the direction that Jesus is trying to take Nicodemus in this discord, in this teaching, this little one-on-one Bible study that he's given him right here. He says to him, marvel not that I say you must be born again. So Jesus says, this is a must, it's a non-negotiable. There's no negotiating it. It's not going to begin to happen someday. I know Jesus, you said that, but I did this. No, Jesus said, I'm going to hold you accountable to the truth that I invested in your life. See, every one of us have free will, and we have the ability to reject it. God's not going to force his love on you. He's not going to force his forgiveness or his salvation. He's not going to force heaven on you. You have the opportunity to actually receive this or reject it. But what we need to remember is what you do with Jesus is the most important decision of your life because guaranteed it determines where you spend your eternity. And we've got the pleasure garden of God in Revelation 21 and 22, where there's a new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, no more pain, sorrow, tears, any of those things. God's dwelling amongst us. That's where the, the, the uh, pearly gates are and the streets of gold and everything else. The most wonderful thing, not being what's there, but who's there. But prior to that, another chapter, you got the lake of fire. Where the small and the great. They stand before a great white throne. And because their name wasn't written in the Lamb's book of life, they're cast in a lake of fire that actually was prepared for Satan and his angels, Jesus told us. So I'll tell you this right now. The only way that you're ever going to go to hell is you've got to step over the dead body of Jesus Christ to get there because he's laying his cross in your path so that you won't have to go there. He says, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it listeth, and you hear the sound thereof, But you can't tell from where it comes or where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. There's a physical manifestation. There's visual evidence. You know, yesterday we went hunting, and it was cold. And I don't have the best cold-weather gear, but I thought I could make it. And just about when I wasn't making it, man, I saw that sun come up, and I'm like, praise the Lord. I'm going to get some sun on my face get heated up, and that wonderful sun came up and brought with it about a 20-mile-an-hour wind. (laughs) Freezing, man, but you could see the evidence of that wind. Everything was blowing all over the place, and I got colder and colder and colder. But it is what it is. And that which is born of the Spirit this spirit if we will turn to John let's go let's go forward a little bit into John 14 when Jesus is talking about the birth of the spirit we need to remember that the Holy Spirit is the power source of the church <clears throat> and I do know this that it's very easy for a church to lose its power it's very easy for a believer to lose his or her power in a way that You can lose power in all the years of doing electric in my life. It's when two things that shouldn't be touching intersect and touch. And then all of a sudden, boom, you trip the breaker. You got no power now because there's something broken preceding it. And I think in the life of a believer, we need to realize that the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word, they work in harmony with one another. And the moment that we start to get out of harmony with the Spirit and with the Word through compromise, rebellion, unbelief, grabbing back personal lordship, instead of Jesus' lordship, that sometimes what that'll do in our life is it'll cause something to short circuit in the spiritual realm. And all of a sudden that power gets shut down And what I mean by that is is the Bible talks about us having the ability to quench and grieve the Holy Spirit. It's like when a blip breaker flips in your house and all of a sudden everything that was designed to run doesn't run the way it was designed anymore because there's been power broken, something shorted out. So when we look at what the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer, because we're talking about being spiritually born, all right, we're physically born, we're here today. But being spiritually born takes place at conversion. And we see here Jesus at this time speaking to the apostles. All right? That's who he's talking to here. And look what he says in verse 16. He says, I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another. Okay? Of the same. It literally means of the same kind. So what is this? This is divinity. This is God. He says, I will give you another comforter that he might abide for you with you forever. Even the spirit of truth And the world cannot receive it because they see if them not, neither know him, but you know him for he dwells with you. That was the current work of the Holy Spirit with the apostle. He dwells with you and he shall be in you. That's what's coming next, guys. And we're going to find that towards the end of, of John's gospel. And this is what Jesus is referencing here. The point where we actually give our lives to Jesus Christ. We turn from our sin. We accept him. We embrace him. We, we come to his cross. We recognize the sufficiency of it. The blood that was shed for our sins. And by faith we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. And what takes place at that time? The Holy Ghost steps in and he changes everything. This, this isn't like pick myself up by my spiritual bootstraps or, or all of a sudden, you know, I'm just going to, I'm signing up for a more moral life or anything like this. No, this is transformation from the inside out. Matter of fact, go to Galatians chapter 1 with me for a moment. Galatians 1. Unbelievable picture of what the spiritual birth is. Solitarsus. Because the time, we won't go there, but you can read a little bit of his testimony in Acts chapter 26 how he hunted the church. He hunted believers. This guy is what we would call in these modern days that we live in, he was like a terrorist against Christians. That's who he would kill families. A simple statement that he makes in Galatians verse 13. For you heard of my conversation or my conduct in the times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many of the equals of my own nations, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated from me my, from my mother's womb And called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. This guy goes from persecutor to preacher, and it all happened on the Damascus Road. When the reality of the resurrected Jesus Christ who left behind an empty tomb that we sung about this morning revealed himself to Saul of Tarsus and he fell down and he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And he changed his life. It was his born again experience at that moment. His whole life changed when he made Jesus Lord. And our life should have too. Peter says this, that you're born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God, which lives. We do believe that, right? This is alive. That this is, this is unlike any other book. This is God-breathed, spirit-inspired. It's words on paper, but it's eternal truth available. So, the word of God, this is what Peter says, which liveth and abides forever. Okay, now the word of God abides forever, and I'm here to tell you it abides forever in heaven and it abides forever in hell. For all flesh is as a grass, and the flesh of the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Wherefore, speaking about being born again, what we see here, Peter's experience being born again. Remember, this is the same individual that denied Jesus Christ three times. This is the same individual that would go on and publicly proclaim Jesus Christ And over 3,000 people got saved. What was the difference? The difference was a conversion that brought the Holy Spirit's presence in and power upon. That was the difference. And he would go on to say that, like we're talking about the wind, you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of it. And this is the effects Peter says, once we're born again by the word, which lives and buys Uh, liveth and abideth forever. He says, you lay aside malice, all guile, hypocrisies, envies, and evil speaking. So all of a sudden, sin's getting pushed out of the life. You don't want that anymore. And, it, and it's not just that God deals with the sin issue because he wants us to experience great victory and not live in bondage and be free from the chains that the flesh, the devil, and the world wants to put on us. It, it goes on to say, and as a newborn babe desires the sincere milk of the word that you might grow thereby. Now, all of a sudden you have an appetite for the word of God you're hungry, and you want to grow in your faith. You want to grow in your knowledge of who this Jesus is, and his plans, and his purposes, his truths, and his promises. And you get it here. When I grew up, the only thing I took any interest in ever reading was the sports section. That was it. I was not a reader. But once I got saved and the Spirit was in me, now I desired this. I wanted to fellowship with Jesus Christ through this. I wanted to be nourished. I wanted to grow, and I had an appetite for the Bible. That's part of the wind. That's part of the the revealing, like the wind that comes into someone's life. You see them reading their Bibles. You see them hungering for the Word of God. You see them thirsting for the Word of God, but everything changes on the inside. You know, my softball buddies didn't understand, oh, you got to go to church now. No, I want to go to church You couldn't have dragged me into a church on a Sunday when I had a softball game, but now you couldn't drag me out to play softball. Why? Because I just wanted to make better decisions? No, because the Spirit of God was guiding me in the direction of God for my life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Peter writes that we, according to his promise, we're we're, we're partakers of the divine nature. Now the divine nature steps into us when we're spirit-born. You can go back to... John's Gospel. But but think about this whole conversation with Nicodemus and Jesus, right? Who knew about this conversation? Maybe nobody. Maybe just Nick and Jesus. Maybe the apostles were there. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But you know what I want to encourage you in? You got people that you love, man, and they don't know Christ. Christ. Some of those people that you love, that you're so concerned about, they're seeking Jesus. You just don't even know about it. And better than that, Jesus is seeking them. So we take comfort in that, man. We have a God that'll leave the 99 to go after the one lost. So he says here, you know, speaking about the wind, speaking about the evidence, you see what the, what the wind does, right? It takes my trampoline throws it up into the trees. You know, that's what the wind has the power to do. There's evidence, visual evidence. Well, it must have been some wind last night. And Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? And and Jesus answered and said unto him, are you a master of Israel and, and you don't know these things? Now, the reality is some of this stuff should have sunk into his head a little bit because the book of Ezekiel, which he should have studied... You know, would speak about God stepping in and giving a new heart and giving a new spirit. Jeremiah would reference the same thing. But unfortunately, this guy wasn't open to everything that the scripture had to say and did not know this very important thing. Verse 11 says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we, I believe it's speaking about the Trinity here, we speak what we do know and testify what we've seen and you receive not our witness. If I've told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things. The word belief is going to be referenced five times in the next six verses. So important. Because that's where it all comes back to. Think about what belief has the power to do to fear. I mean, these are issues that have really manifested themselves in the church, uh, especially the last uh, three or four years. But think about what belief does to fear, panic, anxiety, worrying, depression, discouragement, insecurity, and eternity. Belief, faith, trust, it's an extinguishing agent to all those things. And this is what Jesus is focusing on. He's focusing on a belief that is a trust of the heart in who he is and what he's saying. You know, Jesus makes simple statements in the Bible, simple questions, and and from time to time, they just manifest themselves in our heart because he's trying to meet us where we're at. But I wonder sometimes if the question Jesus might pose to you and to me today is, where's your faith? Because if we're overridden with fear, panic, anxiety, worry, depression, discouragement, insecurity, and eternity, he would say, where's your faith? Are the exterior circumstances of your life dominating you or are the truths of my word dominating you? How many times that still small voice speaks to me and says this, Jeff, do you trust me? (laughs) Well, yeah, I'm a pastor. Of course I trust you. He really gets down and says, do you trust me? No man has ascended to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is from heaven. In verse 14, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And that's in reference to what he's going to go through at Calvary. That's what we're going to see about 16 chapters from now when his life mission manifests itself. But the Old Testament reference was when Moses was taking the children of Israel out of Egypt to the promised land, and the people got discouraged. And they got sick of God's provision. Eating this man and everything, they started to complain. And all of a sudden, the consequences of their actions, there was these fiery serpents that slipped into the camp. And it would bite people and they would die. And he told Moses, I want you to take a serpent, put it on a brass pole. And you tell the camp, whenever they look at that, once they're bitten, they will not die. They'll live. But they would have to look to what God had provided for them by faith. And notice that they would still be bitten. You know that once you've been saved, the enemy still bites. But Jesus Christ and his word are the anti-venom to the deception and the unbelief that the devil wants to sow into our lives. The provision of God. Jesus and the word of God are the anti-venom. So we look at this. We ask ourselves, are we looking to In putting our trust in what and who God has provided his son on a cross for you and for me, for our sins, so that we can give our lives to him and receive everlasting life. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life for God so loved the world. <clears throat> that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For years, I wondered who that guy was at the football game behind the goalpost with the John three sixteen. I had no clue. What the honest to God, I had no idea what that was. I did not know. I wanted to know who John was, and what the three sixteen was. I had no clue. All those years. Yeah, I went to church and everything. But I had no idea. But thank God for that guy trying to get the gospel on national uh, TV. But we look at this, and, and it says that God so loved the world he gave. Now, part of that verse has you and I in it. We're part of that unredeemed world that he came for, to redeem us. James tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of light. Jesus Christ is God's perfect gift for you and I. perfect in what he accomplished, perfect in who he was, perfect in who he is, and perfect who he will always be. If you go to Romans 5 with me for a moment, but you know what, church, this is one of the things that we need to recognize, that God so loved the world. We were once part of that world before we were saved. You know what that means? That means that we need to keep our hearts tender towards the unredeemed world out there, who is in opposition and rebellion, and who now are who we once were. The days are definitely getting more challenging, and people are getting more challenging, but the love of God is just as available today as it ever has been. Romans 5, love this verse, one of my favorite verses. But God demonstrated his love towards us, and his love is towards us. In that while, look at, when we were yet sinners, in opposition, what does it mean to be a sinner? It means to be in opposition to God, an enemy of God, on the wrong side with God. But nevertheless, the love that He had for us in that position was to come after us so that we wouldn't stay in that position. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And much more than being now justified. By his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. How good does it feel, Christian, not to have the wrath and the judgment of God hanging over your head anymore? I'm so thankful because, you know, as we look at this, okay, closing out here, if you're not born again, you're not going to heaven. They're not my words or his words. I'm just echoing what Jesus said. When he spoke to a religious individual. So, so as we look at that, your heart did one of two things. If you're not checked out and, and somewhere 10 miles down the road, your heart did one of two things. You're either concerned about your destination or you're secure with your destination. I am secure with my destination. Don't say it with arrogance at all, I say it with confidence because I know whom I believed. These things are written that you might know you have eternal life. That's confidence. Not arrogance, confidence. If I don't make it here next Sunday, I'll see you in heaven. That's where I'll be. But will you be? Because if there's a concern in your heart, this is what you need to know. That God has provided the way of salvation, the way to heaven, but it only comes through his son. There is no other way. Jesus himself said that. I share that at funerals too. Because in so saying that I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the father but through me. He speaks of one singular way, thus denouncing any other way. There's no other way. So, it's who Jesus Christ is, and it's what he did on that cross, just what, like we read about here in Romans chapter 5, that we're justified. We're put in a position of the right standing with God by what? By his blood. That's why we sing about the blood, because it's precious. Peter said that it's precious. But if you don't know where you stand with God, can I tell you this? We already spoke about it a couple weeks ago. As many, that's any, as have received Him, to them He gave power to become the children of God, to them that believe on His name. It's a day to put your trust in Christ. And start following Jesus in a real way. Sometimes as believers, we go through this. Am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I saved? Am I not saved? And I get it, man. I had that argument with myself, especially in my early years with the Lord. But the evidence, the evidence of where you stand with God is either the presence or the absence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Because if you're born of the Spirit, the Spirit is within you and he's guiding your life in the ways of God. It goes from the religion to the relational, and that's a huge difference. So, if you're concerned, I would encourage you to come up after the service for prayer. But here's the bottom line if you said some sinner's prayer years ago and it did not change your life, And you really need to ask yourself some questions. And I'm not saying that to come down on anybody that's here, but like Jesus is truly, truly, the Bible says that we are to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith, the faith, one faith. And I love the fact you're at Old Pass Chapel, but but you can come to Old Pass Chapel and not come to Christ, and that would be a catastrophe. And I wouldn't want that for anyone here. What Old Pass Chapel is about is preaching Christ and Him crucified because He loves you. I get it. I have these conversations all the time. Sometimes we define the love of God by the circumstances that we're facing in our life. God chose one place as a concrete, unchangeable place where you can always visit to know that you're loved of God and it's a constant and that's at the cross of his son. That's where he demonstrated his love. Not when we we're at our best, but when we we're at our worst. No better day. If you've heard his voice today, harden not your heart. Today may be the day of salvation. That you'd yield your life to Jesus. We'd love to pray with you, give you a Bible. Make him your Lord and Savior. Invite him into your life and allow him to have his way. Father, we bless you. We're so thankful, Lord, that we're, we have the opportunity to have a spiritual birth and that you, by your grace, see fit to step into our lives by your Spirit. And I pray if there's anybody here today, Lord, that you've been drawn like Nicodemus and your spirit has been with them, that they would yield themselves to you, Lord, and give their lives over to you, turn from their sin and make you their Lord and Savior so the spirit can step into them. We thank you for your life-changing word. We thank you for this destinational changing chapter, Lord, that causes us to make sure that we're saved and not just churched. Thank you for your love and your faithfulness for being such a good shepherd. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.